0: Uh, you can open your Bibles, if you got them with you, to John chapter 9. Uh, if you're in Luke or Matthew or Mark, you're a little too, a little too early. And if you're in Acts or anywhere else in the New Testament, you're a little too late. So, John chapter 9. In my Bible, it's 86% of the way through. So, I don't know if that helps anybody, but 86% of the way through in my Bible. Um, I know it's been a while, uh, but we're continuing on, returning to our series this semester, which is Jesus Heals. And John 9 has one of the longest healing stories in the Bible. And there's a lot for us to see. There's a lot to unpack. Um, but as you listen, I want you to imagine being there and watching this all take place. Okay, so here's God's word from John chapter 9. As he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since this world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have had no guilt. But now that you say, We see... Your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and allowing us to see the truths through the eyes of the gospel and through the eyes of Jesus that give sight to the blind. Would you bless us as we listen to your word tonight and see what it has to say about our sight and our blindness. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were there this morning, you heard me give an illustration about a book I used to read a lot growing up called What Happened After. All about what happened after all the fairy tales you know, right? Basically, what happens after, happily ever after, right? Well, we've heard a lot of stories of healings this semester, and a lot of them kind of feel like that happily ever after. You know, Jesus comes in, heals the person, and then it's over. And so we kind of wonder sometimes, what happens after those healings, right? What happens after the faith of the Canaanite woman? What happens after the woman with the discharge of blood? What happens after, you know, the man who was lowered down by his friends? And we actually get that in this story. Most of the story, in fact, is what happens after. The first seven verses are the healing, and then all the way verses 8 through 41 is what happens after. And actually, if we're honest, we need this sort of what happened afterwards because some of us wonder how we should live. Like, we know we're Christians, but what does it mean for how we live now? Some of us wonder, how do we grow in our faith and how do we share our faith? Some of us wonder, how, how do we, you know, how do we stand firm under pressure like this man, Right? And some of us feel like there are things that keep us from seeing things God's way. Wherever you are, you can identify with someone in this story. There's a lot of characters, right? And there's the usual people, Jesus and his disciples. There's also the blind man. But more important for us, there's three groups of people, the public, the Pharisees, and this man's parents. So before diving into those three groups of people, this chapter is so long, but it's also really rich and complex. So the best way to understand it is to look at the beginning, and look at the end, and then we can understand everything that happens in the middle. So we see Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus sees a man born blind. His disciples ask him, well, did he sin? Is that why he's blind? And Jesus said, no, he's blind so that the works of God may be displayed in him. And then he says something really important. He says, I am the light of the world. And that's one of the themes running through the whole passage, that Jesus is the true light by which we see. And then he does something really odd. He spits in the ground, he makes mud and puts it on the man's eyes, and we think, why did Jesus do that? Right? And we'll, we'll get back to that. But I want you to keep that question in your head. Why would Jesus heal him that way? And then the man goes and washes and then sees. And then at the very end of the passage, he finally comes back to Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement in verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And that's what this really, this chapter is all about. People that were blind, a.k.a. the blind man, now sees, and those who think they see. Are actually blind so with those things in mind we can understand what happens in the rest of the chapter so first we look at the public what does the public do after this miracle that kind of starts in verse 8 right it says his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying is this not the man who used to sit and beg after the blind man is sealed he sees these people that he knows and naturally they have questions right that's not a bad thing if somebody came and said I was blind but now I see we'd all have questions and it's good to have those questions but but what happens? Well, they're actually split into two categories, right? In some ways, it's those who see and those who don't see. Verse 9, some said it is he, others said nobody's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they keep asking the questions and they doubt, is it even him? They ask him, well, where's Jesus? How did it happen, right? And ultimately, what do they do? They send him to the Pharisees, right? And we actually never hear from these guys again in the whole story. It's one thing to say, let's send it to these people and let's see what they say. But we never hear from them again. So what the public does is they dodge the question, right? They say first, well, it's not him. And then they say, well, where's Jesus? And then it's, oh, these important people, they, they can figure it out, right? They dodge the question. And that's something that we do all the time. It actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 because after Adam and Eve had sinned and God comes and asks them about it, Adam says, well, Eve gave me the truth. And Eve says, well, the serpent said it was good, right? They're both dodging the question. This is something that we all do. But the public does this in this passage. They dodge the question. The second people, the second category of people are the Pharisees, right? Now, when we hear Pharisees, in this case, I want you to think not people that you know are bad, right? Which is what people, when we grow up in the church, that's what we think of when we think of Pharisees. But I want you to think of the experts, right? The people you trust. This is why the, the public sent the people, sent the man to the Pharisees. They thought, okay, they can figure this out. So he goes to the Pharisees and they question him. But notice they ask a pretty different question. It's in verse 14. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him how he'd received his sight. And when he tells them what happened, they then question. They then are split too, just like the public. They say, uh, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do these such signs? So we asked asked the question earlier, why does Jesus heal the man this way, right? All the other healings we've seen, it's a touch, maybe, if not just a word from far away. But Jesus takes the time to make mud and put it on his eyes, and it seems crazy, right? Well, that day, the Pharisees have strict, strict rules for Sundays. So if you were gonna heal somebody on a Sunday, they had to have a life-threatening injury. That was the only way you could heal somebody on a Sunday and for it to be okay, right? Also, you couldn't make bread, which means you couldn't knead the dough. So when Jesus is using his saliva and making mud, it's the process of kneading. So they're saying, wait a second, he's not following our laws, right? And so the Sabbath is a huge deal, right? And so the, basically what they do is they're split. They're like, well, he's doing things that we don't think are good to do on a Sabbath, so what do they do? They call his parents. And they actually don't get anywhere with him, And we'll actually go back to the parents, but they don't get anywhere. So they call the guy back and then they fall back on what they think and what they, they think they know. They say this, they say, verse 24, give glory to God. Well, if we want to read that nicely, we could say they mean, hey, tell us what is true. But we see what they really want is tell us what we want to hear, right? Tell us that you didn't really receive sight from this man because we don't like what he's about. He's doing things that we don't think are good on a Sabbath day, right? They're actually following back on what they know. They even say this, well, we don't know about this man, but we're disciples of Moses, so we've got it covered. We've got it under control, right? So whereas the public dodges the question, the Pharisees actually dismiss it out of pride, out of what they think they know. They trust in their own sight, their own knowledge, not in the sight that Jesus gives. And it's important to see that this blind man has actually much more learning than the Pharisees. This man who's never been able to read, never been able to write, is able to talk with these men and actually come out on top pretty amazingly. Right? But the other thing that we see throughout these things is that the blind man keeps making confessions and they actually get stronger and stronger. So when the public talk to him, he says, Well, Jesus put mud in my eyes, I went to the pool, and I came back healed. And that's a good confession. But he doesn't say anything about who Jesus is, he doesn't say anything about the Christ, right? And then when he talks to the Pharisees, they ask him, well, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? And he says a prophet, right? And when he says a prophet, he means he is the highest authority. He has more authority than you. He has more authority than me. So he's growing in his confession, right? And in contrast to the Pharisees who are trusting are in their own authority, this man says, no, no, Jesus has authority. So let me give you an illustration of this kind of dismissal, right, based on what you want to know versus what you see. So uh, raise your hand if you've heard the name Thomas Jefferson. I'd assume a lot of people, most if not all of you, heard Thomas Jefferson. So there was something that he made called the Jefferson Bible. And what he did was he went through the Bible and said, anything I don't want to be true and I don't like, I'm going to take out. So anything about Jesus being divine, anything about miracles, definitely anything about the resurrection, right, just cuts out is gone. He often cut things off mid-verse because he's like, well, I like this part, but I don't like this part. In fact, I looked up what John 9 looked like in the Jefferson Bible. It's just the first three verses, just Jesus talking to his disciples because you can't have healing. You can't have a healing of man born blind, right? This is dismissing what you don't want to be true, and what you're left with really isn't anything good at all, right? And so the Pharisees are dismissing in the same way out of pride. The public dodge, The Pharisees dismiss. What do his parents do, right? So his parents, back in verse 18, the Pharisees call his parents because they say, okay, we need to call them as witnesses and see what they say, right? That happens in verse 18. The Jews didn't believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And when it starts out, we think, okay, this is going to go well because his parents tell the truth in verse 20. His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But then verse 21, they say, But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. Right? So what do they do? Well, they basically say, uh, go back and ask our son about it. And they don't really give any information about what they know. And actually, the passage tells us why that is in verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So his parents were afraid. If the public dodge the question, if the Pharisees dismiss it out of pride, really his parents are ducking out of fear, right? That's what they're doing. Ducking out of fear. But look at this man. He doesn't duck out of fear. Instead, he faces the Pharisees, even knowing the same thing his parents know. He faces that. In verse 26, he actually claims implicitly to be a disciple of Jesus, right? His confession is growing. And then, you know, the Pharisees say, well, we're disciples of Moses, right? And then there's this interchange between the two of them. And you really, when you read it, you can understand why the blind man is actually seeing things much more clearly. It's like the game we played. Imagine if one of the two people didn't have a blindfold on. That's what this conversation feels like. The blind man sees things much more clearly. They said to him, what did he do to you? How do you open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Knowing the answer is no for them, right? knowing that. And they say they're disciples of Moses, and they say they don't know where he comes from. And then he responds, and he says, you don't know where he comes from. Well, he's doing these miracles, and yet you don't know where he comes from. How are you not seeing what I'm seeing here, right? And so the Pharisees cast him out. That's what they end up doing. So the man doesn't fear like his parents. He doesn't duck out of fear. Instead, he stands firm. I wanna give you an illustration that actually comes from our own denomination. So we're in the PCA and the PCA actually came out of a larger Presbyterian denomination in the 20th century. And what happened was in that denomination, there were increasingly things where people started to question and wonder and say, hey, that's not right, right? Somebody was able to become, you know, people would be able to, to become pastors and not believe the truth of the Bible, not believe in the virgin birth, not believe in miracles, not believe in the resurrection, not believe the Bible is true, right? And naturally, a group of people got together and said, this is wrong, right? We need to do something about it. And they understood that they, that they could be cast out, right? And what ended up happening is they broke away from the denomination and a lot of places lost their buildings, right? And they said, that's okay, that's worth it to us because we want to stand firm on what we know and what we see. And actually, one of the things that led up to this is they made this declaration of commitment and put it in newspapers and basically said, here's the things we stand for and here's the denominations not doing, right? And I happen to have that newspaper on the wall in my office and one of the first statements in it is that faith in Jesus turns us from darkness to light. Faith in Jesus turns us from darkness to light. And they didn't duck out of fear, they stood firm knowing it was going to be painful, right? And that's like this man, he knows that he's going to get cast out if he stands for what he knows, but he does it anyway. So the public dodge, the Pharisees dismiss, the parents duck, but why does this man stand firm, right? Well, it's because he has a faith that he knows and sees the way Jesus has given him sight, okay? Basically, he knows this. He says, I am seeing for the first time ever. And to reject Jesus is to reject the very sight I have in my eyes. <laughs> I can't do that, right? Yes, he, he physically sees, right? There was physical healing, but he also spiritually sees in a way he's never done before, right? Think back. His confession develops and develops and develops and gets stronger and stronger, First, it's this guy Jesus healed me. Then it's this guy is a prophet. Then it's I'm actually one of his disciples. And actually, we don't know where he comes from. And then we actually see him in the final passage with Jesus worship him. Right? And so the healing is not only physical, but Jesus is also bringing a spiritual healing to this man. And this gift of healing of spiritual sight only comes through Jesus' sacrifice. And that's why he came. Like he says, so that those who are blind may see. So how do we, how do we see in, in the sight that Jesus has given us? How do we stand firm? Well, first of all, we don't dodge the question. It's easy, like the public, when somebody asks us something about what we believe, just to kind of dodge it and always be referring to somebody else. And there are good people out there that we want to hear from and want to know from and want to learn from. Parents, you know, volunteers, friends, pastors, things like that. And that's good, right? But ultimately... We need to not dismiss the question. We need to say, what is it that I believe? What is it that I think? Right? We can't rely on just the faith of our parents or the faith of our friends. We have to say, actually, do I see this way? Have I been given that same sight? We need to ask that question. Right? We also don't dismiss out of pride like the Pharisees did. Well, actually, what we do is we confess our sin, confess that we don't always know what's right. We don't always know what's good. And we're blind without Jesus. And we actually come to his word to understand him, not to build up ourselves with our own knowledge, right? That also means that we trust Jesus and what he says about what it means to live and how to live rightly, right? There are a lot of things in the Bible that kind of feel like mud on the eyes of like, I don't like what Jesus says about living this way. I don't like what he says about what I do with my money or what I do with my sexuality or what I do with this or that, right? But we trust Jesus' sight. We don't trust in our own sight. We know that we're blind and so we actually trust in him. Also, we don't duck out of fear. We speak the truth about Jesus who gives sight to the blind, right? We trust him entering into those conversations that sometimes are scary, right? Also, when things are really difficult in our lives and we can't really see what's going on, right? Why is this difficult thing happening? Why, why am I hurting physically? Why am I hurting spiritually, mentally? We don't see, but we trust in the sight of Jesus. We trust in him. And we actually go towards the questions, we ask questions ourselves, we seek good answers and rest upon the firm, down, firm foundation of God's word rather than on, on our shaky foundations of what we think that we see. And because Jesus is ultimately the one who gives the sight, we actually don't have to be perfect witnesses. Sometimes it feels like that. If, if, we're, if somebody asks us a question about Jesus, we think, I have to give the perfect answer so that they come to know Jesus right here, right now. But actually, we don't give sight to the blind, remember, it's Jesus, And so actually what that does is that allows us to say we don't have to be perfect witnesses. Rather, we just need to be faithful to what we know, just like this man. And actually, over time, over time when we enter into these conversations, actually we get to know more and more about what we believe, just like this man throughout this passage, right? He grows and grows and grows in what he believes. And actually, our weakness is really important to show that it's God who ultimately gets the glory. So there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that touches on these things. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We see that over and over again in this passage, with the blind man actually being the one who sees the most out of anyone in closing a lot of you know that i enjoy playing the legend of zelda ocarina of time it's one of my favorite games okay well there was a man named jordan verne who lived in canada and he wanted to play through it too only there was one thing he's blind and he's like how do i play through this game when i am blind well he actually found a guy named roy williams and roy and a bunch of his friends got together and painstakingly mapped out the way through the game sat down keystroke by keystroke and said, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And Roy mapped it all out so that Jordan was actually able to complete the game. Something he'd never be able to do on his own, right? He was able to see through the sight of Roy. And that's this blind man, and that's us too. We don't see through our own sight. We can't map out the way to live, but we actually get to trust in Christ who gives sight to the blind, both physically, like the blind man, and spiritually. And so the point of John 9 is this, because jesus gives sight to the blind we walk in his sight that's it if you take one thing away from tonight that's it because jesus gives sight to the blind we walk in his sight let's pray father thank you that you do give us sight because lord we are blind we are prideful we, we want what we want but lord we ask that you would continue your work in us by your spirit would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear Would you give us diligence to know and study your word and to stand firm in our faith as people ask us questions, just like this blind man. Thank you again for spiritual sight. And would you be with us this week and help us to see things through your lens and your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.